everybody, welcome to another episode of Courtside Reviewing Some Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have with us again my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. I'm smiling, Steve, because this was quite a week and we got uh, quite a bit to talk about. And I know you're fired up. You're ready to go. So uh, let's get started, huh? Sure, let's do it. The big news, and we have to start with, and we could do a whole episode on, on this topic alone. Um, we're not, but we could, uh, is the news from Serena Williams earlier in the week. Now, you notice she never used the word, the retirement word. Um, I think she used the evolving type of uh, the, the term. You know, it's interesting. She also didn't say she would specifically retire after the U.S. Open. She never used those words, too. I think that's assumed. But um, you were there for so many of her, her big matches, especially the ones in New York. I mean, the, the numbers are staggering, right? 23 majors, uh, singles titles, held all four majors twice. She never did it in one year, which we know is so, so hard to do. Um, but she had all four majors twice at one time, 2002 to 2003 and 2014, to 2015. 365 wins in majors, 319 weeks at at number one, her first slam was at the 1999 U.S. Open before her older sister, Venus, won her first slam at Wimbledon. Um, I'll leave it up to you, Steve. I mean, again, we could talk about Serena forever. Well, listen, all those statistics, uh, <laughs> everything you just mentioned is, is, is bears proof to the fact that she's one of the greatest of all time, no doubt, and that she's clearly in the conversation for the greatest of all time my and 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 she deserves all the all the accolades she's getting right now because you know you think about how she won her first major in 1999 at the u.s open it's only 17 years old and then she won in her, her most recent one at the 2017 australian so almost a full 18 year gap between those and still in the finals of wimbledon in the open in 2018 and 90s the longevity is very impressive the fact that she won the 23 majors surpassed Steffi fall. looks like she's going to fall one short of Margaret court. All of that, nothing, nothing to be taken away from her. She's just a spectacular career. All I would add, David, is that I don't agree with those that automatically accord her greatest of all time. And, and a lot of people in the media and on television were doing this by the side, 2014, 15, they reached a certain stage where it was sort of assumed. And then the, once she passed Steffi, then it became even more automatic. I don't, I want to, I, I, I have, a, I'm still assessing it to tell you the truth because I still believe that Graf and Navratilova, I always felt that Steffi was the greatest, uh, slightly ahead of Martina. Uh, and then now, course, Steffi had the, Steffi had the calendar grand slam in 1988. Yeah, she had this calendar grand slam, not to mention winning the Olympics that year for a golden slams. And Serena came, this is what would have really helped Serena, David, if in 2000, you mentioned those years of 2014 and 15. In 15, she came to the U.S. Open. Yep. She's got the first three. It's just like Novak, in a, in a sense, uh, last year, except he got one round further. And Serena got to the semis, and she's playing Roberta Vinci, who is a really guyful Italian, you know, she she picked, she chipped and charged. She mixed things up. She's a very Gave her no pace at all. Yeah, no pace. And, you know, she, she played a really smart match. However... If Serena's feet had not been frozen, I mean, I, you could clearly see that, and understandably, just like with Novak in the finals against Medvedev last year, that, you know, it's pretty hard to get that accomplishment out of your mind to just play it as a match and, and take those thoughts out of your mind. And I felt like it got to her, and Serena had won the first set, and she also led 
two love with a game point for three love in that third set. Who's she going to play in the final? Flavia Panetta, another Italian uh, who had upset Halep. So it was set up for her. I don't mean set up like it was easy or, or that she didn't earn it, but it looked like she was poised to do it when she took the lead against Vinci and she couldn't finish it off. Had she done that, then I think the, the, the then I think the, the assessment that that would have given her you put her on level ground with Steffi by winning a grand slam. And then you might say, OK, the inconsistencies can be forgiven. But my point being that for long spans, Navratilova, for instance, went five years, David, and lost 14 matches in five years, won 70 of 84 tournaments in that span from 82 to 86. So for a five year span, that's the greatest I've seen for somebody at their peak the most invincible, unbeatable. Steffi had similarly great years, won the Grand Slam. They each were number one in the world seven, eight years about. Uh, Serena's not going to match that. So when it comes to consistency, and it's not all her fault, she had things going on in her private life, health issues and things in her family that diverted her from the game at times. And, and then she came back strong, all to her credit. But there were definitely years where she did not, you know, perform well and almost slipping out of the top 100. And then she'd make her way back. Injuries contributed to it, no doubt. I'm just saying both Graf and Navratilova were immensely consistent. Steffi, almost from the beginning to end of her career, Martina early in her career had some somewhat, uh, somewhat inconsistent at times, but that passed in a hurry. And by the time she won her first Wimbledon in 78, right on through to you know, in 94 and for, and what amounted to a retirement, she made a brief belated comeback attempt later. She was incredibly consistent too. So I, I believe they should not be ignored is my point. When we look at the, especially at the great modern players. And of course we can't ignore David. People tend to just want to forget the likes of Helen Wills Moody and Suzanne Lenglon and little Mo Connolly who won the grand slam herself in 53. And I mean, it's very hard to compare Eras going that far back, but they are they are they are all prodigious players who don't deserve to be ignored either. When it comes to open era, modern, I I, I believe that th there should be an honest debate about all these people. That it shouldn't just be uh, sh Serena shouldn't just be crowned automatically. She's definitely in there to be considered, no doubt about it. And, and she and won her she won her last slam. And when she won the Australian in two thousand seventeen, was she like two months pregnant? Right. Yeah, two months pregnant. Yeah. I mean, amazing, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal. And then comes back from the pregnancy, and in 2018 and 19, she's in the finals of Wimbledon again. If yeah. she could have won one of those and tied Margaret, that also would have helped. So I'm just saying, it's it to me, it's an, a fascinating debate, and I I, I don't want to diminish anything she's done because I and I think you can also make the argument, David, that at her very best, just put them in a time capsule at their very best. I, I think I'd probably go with her on it, certainly on any on hard courts or uh, grass. Not uh, I would love play. to see a Steffi Graf at their peak. Steffi Graf, or I because would. Steffi's quickness, um, in yeah. her own power, in her in her own right. Steffi versus Serena at both their peaks would have been. Oh, something. it'd be great. Now we got a glimpse, David, sort of similar to the glimpse we got with Roger Federer and Pete Sampras at the 0-1 Wimbledon, seven five in the fifth to the young Roger over Pete in the round of sixteen. We got something of that sense of that when Steffi lost to Serena in Indian Wells 7-5 in the third in the finals in 99 you know she's now in her last year she even though she won the French that year you could argue she's still slightly past her prime Serena's oh, not yeah. 
And and Serena's not yet at her prime, even though she goes on and wins the U.S. Open later in the year. So it just was an interesting intersection that they would meet then because Steffi went on to win the French not long after Indian Wells and Serena wins the U.S. Open. And they had a dandy of a match. But obviously you can't put too much stock in that, just like you can't put too much stock in Roger and Pete considering where they were in their respective careers at the time. But I agree with you. I think it would have been, I, 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 I just can only imagine what a series of matches would have been like. I have to say, if you put them on the, on the 10 match series, you know, on hard clay grass, I definitely would give Steffi the edge on clay. Yeah. The question would come down to, could she contain Serena on the grass and the hard courts? Could she win enough of those? That, that I have to think about. But I right off, I would say I would like her chances on the clay with her speed and her precision. And, her, you know, I, I and, and Serena improved tremendously as a clay court player, especially after Patrick Moritoglu came into the picture. But I would still take Steffi on the dirt. Amazing. And, yeah, that would be fun. That's part of the fun, have conversations about comparing uh, different type of eras. Again, especially envisioning people at their peaks in different eras, how they would have matched up. It would have been fascinating to watch. But David, um, just a quick, just a quick final comment. I, I, I want to say this about Serena. I, I think what she's doing is wise. I hope that she plays the open and maybe she can get through a few rounds. It'd be nice to, for her to uh, soak in some applause in New York and the crowds would be sentimental and they should be. And then I do hope somewhere in the fall, you know, I hope that is her last major and, and maybe even her last tournament. Because I think it is the right time. She's going to be approaching 41 here, and, and it's asking a lot of herself. And she's had these long absences with being hurt. And it's just, I, I don't want to see her going on losing to players that, that you know, shouldn't be beating her, is my point. I think it's, it would be a wise time to step aside. And regardless what happens in New York, you know that New York crowd is going to send her off with a proper send-off. I mean, it's well, going to be, uh, it's going to be, I think they sold... I'm going to screw up the numbers here, but they sold a huge amount of t- tickets as soon as that article was, was released on uh, social media. I don't want to name a number because I can't remember off the top of that and I'm going to screw it up. But the ticket sales skyrocketed as soon as that article came out. Well, you know, what's interesting about that, David, is you just wonder how many of those tickets were bought for the first three, four five days because they yep. can't count on Serena being around the second week. If yep. she is terrific, it's a bonus. I just, suspect it's just when the USTA would want the ticket buying to occur because it's the first week that you, you maybe your sales are not as big as the second week. So it, it's exciting. And I, I, I think she'll, maybe she'll clarify. Certainly I think she'll clarify some things once, once the tournament ends for her, whenever that is about what her plans are at that point, I think she'll be very clear on what her intentions are. Well, well said, Steve. And I and I'll just end with this. I mean, what she's done not only for the sport of tennis, but for uh, women's sports in general and women in general. I mean, she's she's moved the needle, Steve. She really has moved the needle in a good way. And her accomplishments speak for themselves. And and we're we're gonna miss her, but maybe somehow she'll stay involved in in the sport. Uh, she's a role model for a lot, a lot of uh, athletes out there. And we wish her nothing but the best of luck going forward. And just a last comment, David, she also had to overcome this sort of psychological barrier of, of her sister, who who was a great, great player. We forget it too quickly. And Venus with her seven majors and her five Wimbledons and two U.S. Opens. And Venus was better earlier on, obviously. And then Serena turned the corner and surpassed her. And, that, and I don't think she enjoyed that necessarily. But she had to come to terms with the idea that Venus was somebody she had to beat 
she had to treat Venus like any other great rival. And I think that she did a, an, a commendable job in, in that aspect as well. And it was interesting for Venus because, like you said, Venus was the first one out there and was better than her sister starting out. But Serena won the slam, the first slam between the two. So Yeah, and I'll never forget the look on Venus's face. You could see the conflict when she watched the final. She had lost to Hingis, and now it's, it's Serena against Hingis. And obviously, she wants Serena to win. But you could almost feel like Venus was so disappointed not to be out there herself. On the other hand, she really urged her sister on and and uh, and and that continued to be the case throughout their careers. There was something very moving to me about that, the way that the, the supportiveness they had for each other. Well, for those that have not seen the movie King Richard, go definitely see it because it, it, it paints a story of, of how Richard Williams coached these two champions to uh, greatness. It's not what you would normally expect how to train tennis champions. Maybe that's why they were as successful as they were. Go check it out. Um, great, great movie. I'm sure a lot of the tennis fans have already seen it, but if you haven't, again, King Richard, check it out. Um, okay, again, we could talk about you know Serena and the Wayne family all day. Let's move on to Nick Kyrgios, who you know arguably is the hottest player on the men's tour as we speak right now. We we you know we had CC Bellis on as a guest last week, so we really didn't talk about the conclusion of, of City Open in Washington D.C. Nick won not only just the singles, he won the doubles with Jack Sock. Great, great week. Um, Nick continued to play well in Montreal. He's now played a lot of tennis. Um, played Daniil Medvedev. He What does he do? He beats Daniil Medvedev in three sets. I think he ran out of gas yesterday. We're recording this on Saturday. He ran out of gas yesterday playing Herkosh. Nothing to be embarrassed about um, at all. Nick has played tremendous tennis. He is now going to be seated in New York. Um, that happened. So we'll see how that draw eventually comes out. But uh, and let's Nick has it, been playing great. As you mentioned, him being the hottest player in the game, it really started with that swing pre-Wimbledon, the grass court circuit where he's very consistent. Then the final of Wimbledon, and then the win in Washington, as you mentioned. But he lost out on twelve hundred points at Wimbledon. I know. Uh, you know, just as Novak for winning it lost out on two thousand. Well for Nick's case that would have made a big difference. You know, he would have got he'd be close to the top ten now. But as far as her cash is concerned, it was an understandable loss, David. You mentioned it. The fatigue set in to be sure, but uh it's also a tough matchup. He lost to him I I don't know whether you saw the semis of Halley not long ago, back in June, pre-Wimbledon, 7-6 in the third to Herkosh, and it was a really well-played match, just as yesterday was. And I and it's really come down to a lot of tie breaks between the, those two in the, in the last couple of matches. And Hubie serves so well that uh, Nick has, has real problems trying to, to break him. But to, to, it was still a very good effort to follow up D.C. with a quarterfinal showing in Canada. And as we speak now, he's still in the draw at Cincinnati, so... I, he, he might be able to do some push his ranking up even a little bit more with a good Cincinnati. And I think he's going to come into the open really raring to go and, mm-hmm. and a genuine threat. And it wouldn't shock me if we saw him around on the final day of the open, just as we did at Wembley. Yeah. No one's going to want to face him in New York, uh, especially early on. I, I agree with you hundred percent. It was weird. Cause I thought he was when he won city, I thought there was a chance he would skip Montreal and prepare for Cincy, then take that extra week off and then go to New York. He didn't. Um, him losing to Hercosh, it would be interesting. If Nick went to the semis or finals of Montreal, what would he do with Cincy then? But I think because he lost yesterday, he's going to have a couple days. They may exactly. not play him till 
Tuesday or Wednesday, he'll have some days off. So I think he does play Cincy. No, you're echoing my thoughts. I just had a discussion with a good friend of mine yesterday, Brad Faulkner, former employee of the Tennis Channel. Good guy. And Brad, and, and I was saying exactly that to him, that I, I, I thought, no, he's going to have enough days off. He loses on Friday. He gets Saturday, Sunday off. He's practicing in Cincinnati on Monday. And they, would, they wouldn't have to play him before Tuesday. And I think he'd be okay by then. Yeah. And they, to me, it's also it's a good sign, David. He did have one injury before Wimbledon. Uh, but then he looked pretty healthy for most of Wimbledon. Now here he is strong on the hardcourt circuit. So his body is holding up better than it has for a long, long, time. long time. Yeah. Now I do wish I, I, I do wish we could get a little lot, a little less uh, uh, of the banner with his with his honorage. He still has an obsession with that. And 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 I think it's it, I don't think it does him any good. I know he wants to vent, but it's not it doesn't do him any good. However, all told, he. He, he handled himself pretty well this week and, and, and in D.C. as well, in addition. So things are pretty encouraging for his camp. And, and you know, it, to think that we all thought that maybe the brilliance of Nick, Nick Kyrgios was going to be, become totally wasted. And here he has had this astonishing resurgence here in 2022. And I'm, I'm glad to see it. Yeah, we all wondered. I put this on Twitter about two weeks ago. You know, we all wondered what it would look like, the, the total package when he put it all together. And we're seeing a pretty damn clear right now. I mean, the talent is just off the charts. So, again, if the motivation stays there, he stays healthy. He's going to be extremely dangerous in New York. So, you know, I mean, imagine, imagine, we don't know the draw yet, but imagine, for instance, after what we saw at Indian Wells early in the year and some of the great matches they've had through the years, if we got Rafa and Nick. In the quarters and in, uh, in a night match in New York in the quarters, as an example. I mean, that's pretty mouthwatering to say the least. A hundred thousand percent agree. Um, another player I want to talk about, and there's a couple aspects to this, and I'm so high on this this player, and so many people, especially American tennis fans, are high on this player too. He's had a great run here. There's a couple things I, I want to hit on, and that's Tommy Paul. And Tommy Paul had a great week in in uh, Montreal. He really did. You know, we talk about the quarterfinal against Ivashka in Atlanta, and we're going to hit on that in, a, in, in my second point. He then plays Nick in Washington, D.C., loses, right? Tough draw. He then plays Alcaraz in the very next tournament uh, in Montreal, right? So he played Ivashka in Atlanta, Nick in D.C., actually, and then Alcaraz in, in Montreal. I mean – Tough draws. The match against Alcaraz was interesting because Tommy, I thought, played really, really well. That third set, Tommy was up 5-2, Steve, and Alcaraz was serving. Alcaraz was down 15-40. Oh, I saw. played two incredible points. Alcaraz won them both. So we saved two match points. Alcaraz saved a third and a fourth match point to hold at 3-5. Tommy's serving at 30-all. I don't know if Tommy ever had a break point. No, if, no. If Alcaraz no. ever had a break point on him, but Tommy... If Alcaraz wins that game, I think yeah. Alcaraz wins the next game, all the rest of the games of the match. Yeah, no, actually, it happened. Tommy was able to hold. I think Tommy actually, no, come to think, I think he actually saved a break point. He but, saved a that, break point. And, yeah. and that's typical of Carlos, by the way, to come back at you at the end like that. That made it even all the more uh, commendable that that uh, he that Tommy could finish off the kid after uh, after what happened at the end. What no, a tough not, hold! Not, what a what a pressure tough hold to have at five three after you after you've had four match points. <laughs> no, it's not, and it and it, it it wasn't easy, and and he also uh, 
saved a match point in the tie break in the second set, which yeah. was very gritty. And he came from way down, four went down the second set. That usually Alcaraz is, is better at closing out matches. But again, that had a lot to do with Tommy's level of aggression, how he, he just would not back off in that match. It was actually quite a high quality. There was a lot of big hitting in that match and a lot of yeah. first class tennis. So, and then he ends up beating Chilich, and unfortunately, you know, he fell short. I was a little disappointed about the loss to Dan Evans. Uh, I, I came thought out was, on fire. Came out on fire. Six one. Yeah, came out. Yeah, six one first set, and he ends up losing in three, which was it was a golden opportunity there to be in the semis and maybe even go on to the finals or perhaps win it. And that's not a match I thought going in he would lose. It's, I'm sure that he was well prepared psychologically for, and he knows that De Evans is a consummate professional. But I still was disappointed that after that kind of a start, that he couldn't wrap up that win and get to and get to the semis. So let me continue on that trend because you, you kind of hit on my second point. So we talked about his run in Atlanta. He lost in the quarters to Ivashka, right? Ivashka's in the qualies of Cincy right now. Last night, again, we're recording this on Saturday. Last night, he played the quarters against Dan Evans. Dan Evans can be very dangerous. Dan Evans was unseated. Evans beat Fritz the night before. Dan Evans is playing well. And again, the match last night between Evans and Tommy Paul it was incredible shot making from both. There was some really, really good points between them. Here's my frustration. And I guess my frustration is just being an American tennis fan, trying to get these guys closer and closer to the finish line. Take last night's tournament. Take last night's match, for instance. You're in a Masters 1000, Steve. You have a quarterfinal opponent of Dan Evans. When you're in a Masters 1000 quarterfinal, who are you going to get that is a lesser known player than Dan Evans? You're not. At these stages of these big Masters 1000s, you're going to have a very, very good player. You mentioned it earlier. This was an opportunity to make oh, the yeah. semis of a Masters 1000. You have to somehow get through well, these I think so. matches. I think so, David. And I, I share your frustration and your consternation because you do want to see him uh, you know, make that stride. You want to see him cross that barrier. However, I, I do think... He's, you know, Brad Stein, his coach, is, is, is so sensible and, and so smart and, and so... Uh, Great coach. Great. Yeah, he understands the game as well as anybody, and he used to work with Jim Courier in the old days. He's worked with a whole host of players. He'll help him through this. I think the important thing is that there's always another tournament around the corner. At some point, you know, a couple of years back, last year, year before, the big thing was, I want to win a tournament. He finally did that. You know, he's, he's already made an, a lot of progress and yes it's frustrating and that could have meant meant a lot of points to move on to the semis and perhaps even the final but the good news is he still got to got those quarterfinal points and you keep going and you know maybe 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 in new york with the american crowds who knows maybe that's where he gets on a run and he's in a big quarterfinal and he gets through it so i'm not yeah. i'm not totally discouraged and i do think he'll learn from it and it, it, it's just sad in a way because I believe that he, you know, he, his game with his game, I think he should have been able to to take care of Dan. I mean, I, 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 I mean, Evans is a tricky opponent with a slice backhand and mixes things up very well. Great competitor. But I thought Tommy would be up up to the job. And again, I think I'm probably trying to rush it a little bit. I, I First of all, his, he is nowhere. Tommy is nowhere near his ceiling yet. He's still going to get better. Um, I'm just looking at. More so Tommy's opponent than the round itself. When you're in the quarterfinal and you get an opponent that's not seeded, um, you know, generally in these Masters 1000s, you're going to get a, 
a heck of an opponent. Not to not to disrespect Dan, but these are opportunities that don't come every week. Um, but like you said, every uh, each week's a different opportunity, and and his ceiling is not. He has he hasn't come close to hitting his ceiling yet. We're all excited to see what Tommy can do uh, in the next few years for sure. And listen, don't think for a second, David, that that Stein is not talking to him about that. He's not aware that there were there were some inner struggles going on there. That maybe after Tommy wins the first set, he's actually thinking about those points. He's thinking about being in the semis. He's he, he, you you can almost be too aware, too conscious of those things. And I've, I'm sure they'll talk about how to get around that. I mean, it's when he's playing Carlos. Okay, it's early in the tournament. You're just trying, yeah. so let's let's just see if we can beat Carlos. But then by the time he got to play that the Evans match, he was in a different mindset and 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 realized with the players left in the field that there were some real possibilities, some great possibilities for him. And and it's it's hard to get that to wipe that out of your out of your mind. This was a huge week for him, Tommy, because Steve he if he loses to Ivashka in Atlanta, Kyrgios in Washington, D.C., and then Alcaraz in Montreal. He's on a three-match losing streak. Again, he's got terrible draws the last two tournaments. But for confidence-wise, this was a monster yeah. week. Yes, we could have. We, we wish he would have gotten through his quarter last night. But this was a big, big week for Tommy. Oh, yeah. I, and I, I think he'll, he'll, he'll recognize that as well, as will Stein. And he'll say, look, this was, this was, this was a good step in the right direction. Let's go from here. And, and he really had... It, it it does astound me how much his game has improved in the last year. I mean, he's just not the same player. Before we go on to the, the next player, and we're going to talk about Coco in a minute, but one, la- one, one question. Carlos, yeah, he had a tough draw. He played Tommy, right? Did Carlos, those two clay court tournaments that Carlos played, do you think that played a factor into how he played against Tommy? This was his first hard court tournament after Wimbledon than after those two clay court tournaments. That yeah, I think it did. I think it did. And I think he's in somewhat of a, I don't want to, I'm not going to call it a downward spiral because it's not, but I do think he, <laughs> he's psychologically, he's been hit hard. He, a lot of people thought he'd win the French and Zarevau played him there in the quarters, you know, and then everybody thought, oh man, maybe he can do something at Wimbledon. Sinner got him there. Sinner got him in one of the clay court finals. He lost the other to Sinego. Uh So it, he's still playing really well, but I think yeah. he now, he just is kind of, I think the Carlos of that period leading up to the French wouldn't have lost the Tommy Paul match from a set in four one. I think he would have closed it. So I think there's just a little lack of confidence right now. And it was the surface transition that you mentioned, but I expect him to sort of bounce back strong in Cincinnati and then be ready to, to make a, a deep run at the U S open, you know, and if I, he I, can I, get some matches in, in Cincinnati, he'll be totally ready to roll. Oh yeah. Him. No, no, that'll make a big difference. And, and he's so dangerous in New York and he loves playing the majors now. And, and he remembers so well beating Sitsipas at the U S open a year what ago, a match. making his first big run at a major. And so I, I think that, that, uh, that'll bring back great memories. And, and now he's just, he's come so far since then. So uh, it, it'll be really interesting. I, I, I do hope that he's at least in the quarters or semis at Cincinnati. That, that'll that help. For sure. Okay. Coco Goff, great week in, up in Toronto. I'm sure that she won two matches uh, back-to-back, seven, six in the third. I felt this was the first tournament in a while that I saw her really going after her forehand, being more aggressive and assertive on her forehand. Um, 
here's the thing. When you look at her stat lines when she wins, like against, I think against uh, Rybikini when she won 7-6 in the third. Rabakino, sorry, Rabakino. 23 winners and 52 unforced errors, Steve. She 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 wound up losing. She then beat Sabalenka, 7-6 in the third. She wound up losing to Halep yesterday. Um, Halep, I think, beat Pagula about an hour before we just recorded today. Um, the stats of the 23 winners and the 52 unforced errors, if you could win a match like that, that that's great, right? But you cannot write your ticket doing that day in and day out. you got to be more consistent. Her athleticism is off the charts. Um, there's still things that need to be cleaned up for her to make consistent deep runs in these big tournaments. Yes, but she had a couple of, you know, uh, the Rabaka, the Rabakana match, Sabalenka. She had some good wins this week before losing to Halep. So it's, it wasn't all bad news for her. I, I see your point. And that's what happens, though. You, you just mentioned about her going after the forehand more. When you start doing that, the unforced errors can mount a bit because you're going for bigger shots. You're taking more risks. So I get it. But you would you would want to believe that 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 gap could be closed and there would have been yeah. 30, 35 winners and 40 unforced. And that's not a, that's not so terrible. That's where that, it's got to become more like that. Uh, but I still see her. We've seen her, what she did at the French, the way she's playing now, the way she's carrying herself. I think she's going to, I still think she's going to do very well in, in New York at the Open. I, I feel like she's sort of paved the way for it and that she's ready for that now. And having done so well in, at Roland Garros gives her the confidence to feel like she can do it at another major. And I, 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 I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, discouraged about her at all. I think with what she's done this year, if like you said, if she can get that winners and unforced errors category a little bit closer, I think she can make a heck of a run in New York. And that New yeah. York crowd is going to be 100% behind her. It's just these draws, you're seeing these draws, Stephen. We talk about it all the time. These draws are ridiculously tough. I mean, ridiculously tough. But if but, you can somehow but, get in a roll and squeak by each match, see if you can get on a run. Yeah, I just think, though, there's something about the way I, I just like the way she's conducting herself out there. There's a lot of poise and she's not cocky, but she's she's confident. And and she's she you just I can just I just see the growth in her over the course of this year. I, I, uh, there's a lot of very good signs to me in the way she's in the way she's approaching things. So uh, I, I, and in her case, you know, she got a lot of matches this week. I think she's actually ready for the open already, truthfully. Yeah. And and no matter what happens, and since in, is she in Cincinnati? I didn't even check to see if she's in that draw. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. Yeah. All right. So I mean, there, you know, what if she can get, if she can even get another quarter out of Cincinnati, that's if she got a quarter out of Cincinnati, that would be fine. Even if she didn't, I think she'll be ready in New York. She's played a lot this year, and there. And again, you talk about crowd support. Oh. You know, I mean, they're they're going to flock to her matches in New York. So the fans are going to be completely on her side. And and listen, it's been a, it's been a, a really good year for her. And may it continue. Well, someone we haven't seen in a few weeks uh, just arrived at Cincinnati yesterday, Friday. Uh, he was already practicing there late yesterday. He was practicing this morning. He's practicing, I think, in about an hour again. Second practice of the day. And that is Mr. Rafa Nadal. You'll know he'll be ready to go. Hopefully, he obviously is lacking match uh, matches, but um, you know he's been through this. He's this is not his first rodeo. He's come back from injuries before. He knows what he needs to do to prepare. 
It'll be interesting to see how he does in Cincinnati. I'm not too concerned. Even if he did bow out early in Cincinnati, he has so much experience. He'll be ready to roll in New York. See, that's exactly the way he looks at it now, David. There was a stage, you know, 10 years ago, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have felt that way. He was so obsessed with the idea that he had to play a certain amount. He had to be matched up. He had to be matched sharp. Now he's seen, I mean, to come back from playing just one tournament post-French Open 2021 and losing, losing that match in, in Washington. I mean, he's played a couple of matches in Washington. He's gone. Right. And, and, and then to come back and play one little warm-up tournament in Melbourne prior to the Australian Open and win that, to have, his, to have a really bad for him, bad French Open preparation. You know, his whole schedule got disrupted, and then he walks off the court, limps off the court after the Shapovalov match in Rome, and he wins the French. So I think he's seen – I don't. I agree with you. If for some reason he got picked off in his first match in Cincinnati, it very unlikely. I've looked at the draw. It looks very favorable. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not going to matter. He just would get on the practice course in New York, and there will be plenty of time for him to play his way in the New York. The big question with him is going to be, does he physically hold up? Right. You know, uh, it, the, the, it, is the Wimbledon injury abdominal? Does it linger? You know, is his foot okay? We still worry about his foot. So there's, there's a lot to be concerned about there. But if he's fortunate enough to avoid all that and stay healthy, then then he's right in the thick of things in New York again as he goes for a fifth title, going for a fifth U.S. Open. Incredible. Yeah, we can't wait to see how that all pans out. And we will end it with a person who I've kind of mentioned on the side the last few episodes that there's a chance, there's a chance, there's a chance. And there's looking like it may even be a better chance. We're running out of time, but the CDC just recently adjusted some guidelines. I would not be shocked. I've said it a couple weeks now with you. If we saw Novak Djokovic in New York, I'm leaning closer to even expecting to see Novak in New York. I think I'm over the 50% line, Steve. I think I'm over the 50% line. I think we see Novak Djokovic play New York. Okay, right. Well, we have to fully disclose to our listeners, David, that you and I have been going back and forth on the text with this this week because I've been asking you what your percentage number is. Now you're telling me. Listen, it, it's. I'm going to repeat what I've said in a couple of prior discussions we've had. I, I sincerely hope that you're right. I would love to be wrong about this. I would love to see him back there playing. And I think... Frankly, he should be, but I, my, I still say the chances are very, very slim because of the, the, the CDC. I read the piece. I read all about the changes they're making and how they're, but I don't see anything in there that that would lead me to believe that the vaccine rule of coming into the U.S. as a foreign player is going to change, and therefore I don't like his, the, the chances. And as I say, I. I'd be very disappointed. I want I want to see him there. I want to see it. You know, I feel like he hasn't done himself full justice in New York. Only imagine that he has three titles and Rafa has four. That that's that's surprising if you think about it on hard courts and, and Novak losing all those finals and and including last year to Medvedev. So I think he it would be great to see him back. I just don't see that vaccine. I don't see the solution for that because he's not going to suddenly 
changed his mind. So unless no, they, it's not going to, he's not doing that. It would be so, another way that he would get in. I agree yeah, with that. But they would have to suddenly say, no, no, they'd have to some come up with some kind of reason to say we're, we no longer require the vaccine. But I think that the U S government would be too worried about the, the ramifications of that, not for Djokovic, just for that rule period. That's, that's, problem. that's right. You're, you're spot on with that. Steve, I, I want to be clear about this with our listeners um, and I want to be crystal clear, both Steve and myself, we are vaccinated. But hypothetically, if Steve and I were not vaccinated and we hung out with Novak in, in Serbia for two, three, four weeks, we could do that. We could be unvaccinated. Again, Steve and I are vaccinated, but we could be unvaccinated hanging out with Novak in Serbia. And Steve and I, let's say we were professionally ranked top 30 in the world because we're Americans. We could come back in and play the USO unvaccinated now again yeah. we are vaccinated for the third right. time but right. that's the goofy thing about it that we as americans we could go hang out with novak in serbia if we were unvaccinated we can then come back in and still play and yet anyone who's not a, an american citizen they cannot do that so that's the goofy part of this yeah you know and obviously that goes for the likes of tennis sandgren who apparently has not had the vaccine and so an american player could theoretically follow the scenario that you just described for us. So it's very complicated that way. It's very complicated. And Djokovic has, has spoken about that. And I think he's frustrated by that. But I have to say, I think, I have to say, David, you know, he's caught so much criticism and he did, especially in Australia. I think he's been very dignified about this. And when he talked about it at Wimbledon, I mean, his attitude is sort of like, look, I'd love to play. I hope I can play. I'll be prepared to play. But if I can't, I can't. And he just accepts he accepts the ramifications of his decision. He understands that he made a choice. And he does not want it. He does not want Australia to happen again, ever again. That no, of course not. Of course not. But what I mean is he understood then as well. I remember, I think even then he was pleasantly surprised initially when he got, when he got his exemption and thought, Oh, this is great. I'm going to be able to play. I'm going over there. And then of course it all blew up. And, and I, I what I mean is he accepts the fact now as well, well, obviously, he wouldn't come to he wouldn't be coming over here trying to looking to cause trouble. He's not going to do anything like that. And I just think what I mean is I think he's accepted the fact that he doesn't complain about what happened in Australia and he doesn't complain about what appears to be uh, what, what it looks like is going to happen in New York. And so he, he's, he's he believes so strongly that he doesn't want to take that vaccine that he's willing to give up two majors in 2022. And. I obviously we can question the judgment and I wish I wish he didn't feel that way. I wish he felt like he could take the vaccine, but he sure has been principled in his way to say, I, I'm willing to give that up. It, it, it's that important to me. We'll see. He's running out of time, but there's some interesting developments each and every day. So we, we, we shall see. Hey, we hit on Rafa. We hit on Novak. We can't let the, uh, the, the third guy of the big three without mentioning him. Happy 41st birthday, Roger Federer, happened, what, last week, right, Steve? Um, we're going to see him hopefully soon at Labor Cup, which, my God, Team Europe has the dream team, I guess. So happy birthday, Roger. Um, we're all hoping to see you soon on uh, on the tennis court. Uh, we'll see him. I'm confident that we'll see him in the doubles in, in Labor Cup. I'm pretty confident about that. Whether we see him in the singles in Basel, that's another story, but hopefully he'll feel like it's a test he can – he, that he has to put himself through that and that he can do it. But I'm pretty confident about Labor Cup and, and that will be exhilarating for all tennis fans worldwide.
Well, I appreciate everyone's uh, attention span. I know we hit on a lot. There was a lot to talk about, but we always try to keep it somewhat short because we know uh, we, we, we realize how precious everyone's time is. So Steve, once again, uh, thanks. I, there, there was a lot that we could have talked about, but I think we hit on quite a bit and we did it uh, succinctly enough where we kept everyone's interest, hopefully. Yeah, I, th- I hope so, David. It was enjoyable and look forward to our next one after Cincinnati. Thanks, Steve.